What a beautiful day we have today. Just what the doctor ordered a week ago, we had snow all over, and now we have 76 degree weather. Excellent. This is, this is a day that we celebrate as one of the greatest moments, one of the greatest moments in history. Uh, one author said, the most important moment in history was the American Revolution. He said the second most important uh, moment in history was the Reformation with Martin Luther. And then he listed the life of Jesus of Nazareth as the third most important event in history. I would argue that the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ would definitely be the top moment of all time. And, and if I was cornered, put, put in a corner and said, you have to come up with what's the biggest moment in the history, what, what has caused more change than anything else, I would say the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No other moment in time, no other event had more effect on you, me, and everyone for all time. And before we go into more detail about the resurrection, I want to I take a trip back a few days in the life of Jesus, right before he, uh, he was going to die. In fact, we're going to go back uh, several days. And incidentally, I, I've been doing a little experiment uh, of my own with uh, people. Uh, I, as you guys know, I'm a teacher, so I get to talk to a lot of kids. Uh, usually if they're in my room, it's because they're in trouble. But this last week and a half, we've been doing state testing, so my room has become a holding room for about 15 to 20 kids at any moment. They aren't in trouble, so sometimes I get conversations with kids that I don't normally get to see, but I still know them all. But the question has come up uh, with this. What is Good Friday? What are we doing on Good Friday? What's that celebration? What's it about? Why, why do we have school off? And what is Easter? Kids have asked me this question, so I've asked it back to different kids. And you know what most people say that Easter is? The birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus. In fact, I, I have asked multiple adults, just randomly at different times, in, in different ways, do you know what Easter is celebrating? The birth of Jesus. And you know what? To a person, every single person welcomed my insight of what Easter actually was. They liked the facts. They liked hearing about the history of, of, of why we celebrate Easter. It, it was only little tidbits, but everyone welcomed to hear that. That on Friday was the day that Jesus died on the cross. And then he came back to life on Sunday. And that's why we celebrate Sunday as such a big event. So it was, it was just about a week before Jesus was going to die. And, and you remember... Uh, Jesus uh, went to the home of Lazarus. He went to his home to enjoy supper. He had a dinner scheduled with Lazarus because before that, Lazarus was risen from the dead. He was dead for four days. In fact, uh, his sister, I believe, said, ooh, be careful when you roll that stone back. He's going to have a bad odor. 
Because he was in the tomb for four days. But Jesus raised him from the dead. It's found in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. It says, six days before the Passover, six days, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Interesting. So Mary is pouring this ointment on Jesus' feet. And she's using her hair to rub it into his, his feet and his legs. Let, let me help you, let me frame this story so you can understand it maybe a little bit more. Here, here's a picture. This is a picture of the moment we met Jacob. This is in an alley in Ethiopia. And, and this moment is etched in Sherry's and my brains significantly. We remember it like it was yesterday. This was a huge moment in time. His grandmother raised him. Jacob's grandmother. Jacob's grandmother wasn't in Addis Ababa where this took place. She was two hours away at her home in Woliso, Ethiopia. And her hope, her, her prayer was that someone that these people were going to take care of their son, was going to take care of, of, of this Jacob, uh, of Mulgeta. Well, Sherry and I, we got an opportunity to go to Jacob's house. We got an op opportunity to visit the family. In fact, I came back uh, the next year with 20 members uh, on a missions team, leading a missions team to Ethiopia. And, and all the family got somehow got there, and, and, and we're all going in, and, and uh, all the family are greeting me and hugging me. But when I got to the grandmother, the grandmother kissed my cheeks multiple times, kissed my head, and then was kissing my hands. She didn't have much to give me at all. But she had her love and her affection. And, and immediately they were making bread and, and doing whatever else, a, a coffee ceremony. This is what was going on with, with Martha. She was beyond thankful, beyond uh, uh, moved, because Jesus had raised her brother from the dead. And so... Maybe she kissed him, and maybe, maybe she kissed his head and his cheeks and his hands, and his, maybe she even kissed his feet. But she wanted to give Jesus everything she had. And so she went, and she grabbed the, the thing that was the most important thing in their family from, from a value standpoint, and she anointed Jesus. It, it is said that... Uh, that this spikenard, as the King James puts it, was valued at about a year's salary. 
a huge amount of money in value. And, and when she poured this on his feet and, and was wiping it with her hair and rubbing it into his skin, it, it would have had this perfume, beautiful smell that would come out and, and that the whole room would know exactly what was happening. Mary gave her everything. Martha gave her everything. If you stop for a second and start pondering this moment, you start thinking about Jesus. And Jesus was saying this was a very symbolic moment. But you think about, if you fast forward to when Jesus was getting beat, and you start to think, could he still smell that perfume? Could he still have that scent because it was a very intense smell and fragrance. Why was Mary, why was she doing that? She was preparing the lamb for the slaughter. Six days before the Passover, which is exactly this day, they would select the most perfect lamb from, the, from all their lambs. And they'd inspect it all over the place. And they'd inspect the feet. And then they would anoint the feet of the lamb. And then they'd spend the next five days continuously inspecting the lamb to make sure that there was no blemish. To make sure that it was as perfect as possible. This is what was happening here. Mary was fulfilling the role that God had given her. This is a huge deal. Did you know that today's sermon is a recap on the book of Acts? And I haven't mentioned the book of Acts yet. But that's what today's sermon is about. And if you stick with me, I think you're going to see that we're going to bring it into focus of why the book of Acts exists and what it actually teaches us. So Mary pours this uh, nard on the, the feet of Jesus, and everybody gets kind of frustrated because she's wasting Perfume. In fact, it was a law in the, in the scriptures, the Old Testament, we call it, that you could not be wasteful. That's why Jesus says, this isn't wasteful. She's not doing this because uh, sometimes slaves would put a little bit of perfume on, on the feet uh, of someone to make it smell pretty. Or, or you can see in different parts of scripture, the perfume was added uh, for uh, a sensual reason. You're trying to attract somebody to you. No, Jesus says, this is preparation for my death. This is preparation for the slaughter. And, and so they get really annoyed, especially Judas. In this portion of scripture, Judas is ticked. Why? Because he says, I want the money for the poor. I want to sell this and give it to the poor. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew it was because he was selfish. Because he wanted it for himself. And then there's Lazarus. And I started thinking of Lazarus in this moment. Because that's the moment Judas, when Judas got so annoyed with Jesus, that it was a switch. And he's like, something's got to happen. This is ridiculous. Because uh, Judas was, what was greedy. Lazarus is somehow in, in, in the point of history all over the place. Where he is, he is a major factor God uses him tremendously. We see earlier that in John eleven thirty five, 35, 
for your good Bible trivia people, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It shows not only good for trivia, but it shows the humanity that Jesus had. His emotion that he loved humans. He loved people so much. Uh, we see that when Lazarus is raised from the dead, that's when the Jews freak out. That was like the final straw. So God uses that event to literally start the process of being killed. Here's what it says in John 11, 45 and 46. Many of the Jews, therefore, this is after he raised, he said, come Lazarus. And Lazarus came out. John 11, 45 and 46. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come to Mary, had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. This is when the Pharisee says, we are going to kill him. It is better for one man to die than our whole nation. And we are going to kill Jesus. That's when Jesus started going in hiding. That was the moment of when all things changed. And eventually we get to Thursday. The Thursday right before the crucifixion. Jesus has a, had arranged a, an opportunity to go and eat and sup with his disciples. Judas still stewing over the uh, uh, anointings that Jesus had been getting. And the money that they could have made, the money he could have taken, he decides, I'm going to go make my money. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go figure it out. You see, where Martha had, was guilty of excess love for Christ, Judas was guilty of excess greed for money. Thinking about Judas. Looking at him real quick. How did Judas get to where he was? Judas was called by God. He was called by Jesus. Come with me. Did you know that Judas is, only has a conversation at least recorded two or three times in all of Scripture? And do you know what Judas calls Jesus every single time? Rabbi. Teacher. He never refers to him as Lord. Ever. Judas, uh, he was a Jew. And Judas, like, a, like all good Jews, understood the scriptures and understood that there was a coming Messiah. And I often think, was Judas just involved with Jesus, not only for maybe the little bit of money he can get here and there, but because he thought maybe Jesus is the Messiah. And what did the Jews think the Messiah was? He was the person who was going to come and overthrow Rome, take over Israel, make it into a powerful nation, and, and rebuild the temple. That's what, that's what they thought the Messiah was going to do. They all thought that, actually. And when Judas started seeing, oh boy, Jesus is actually hiding. He's avoiding. He is no way going to be a king. He is no way the Messiah. And you know what? I don't think I have anything to gain from this. Before I thought maybe I'm going to get some power. Maybe I'm going to get some tremendous wealth. But not anymore. I'm out. I'm tapping out. <clears throat> Let's see what else I can get from this. How about you? How about you? How, how easy is it for you to tap out? How easy is it for you to, to give up the, uh, your, your, your faith in Jesus Christ? Not, not just stop believing, but stop 
raised in the name of Jesus because of a cheap joke or because of an opportunity to, to get promoted for something or an opportunity uh, just to get a, get a rise out of somebody else. We don't take our time, and I'm speaking to myself, friends, we don't take our time here on earth as serious as we need to. We think that we much, uh, must accomplish everything that we can. We must try to win everything. When in fact, that doesn't matter. None of those things matter. I was at Fairmont the other day, and I was walking around, and I was looking at all of the trophies. They've been, they've been going since, uh, I think, the early 40s, and they have gobs and gobs and gobs of trophies along this top wall, and several of them just broken. You know, no, it was a basketball trophy, and, and the guy is holding it, he's got a half arm and no basketball. Eventually, they're all going to be gone. Eventually, it's all going to burn. None of that matters. Judas sold out. He basically sold his soul to the devil for $3,000 in our, our money. How much would it cost you? A thousand? You've got to start thinking in those terms that how are you serving the anointed one? See, that was the annoyance. Because he was the anointed one. He was the one who was being anointed and wasting the money. After supper, Jesus had a few of his disciples go off for a while. And they went and Jesus started praying. He was asking the Father to take the cup from him because he knew what was about to happen. God, God allowed his son to actually see what was going to happen. And he knew what was coming. Because Jesus didn't always know all of the future somehow, in some way, that was blocked from him. But he knew. He was praying for the cup to be uh, taken from him. And, and he said, nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. Some say uh, when, when Jesus was sweating blood, that he was actually having this specific uh, disorder going on in his life where uh, all of his nervous system was at high intensity. So if you would poke him, it would be like stabbing him. And I can't imagine that if that, was, if that was factual based on what he went through. That's when Judas came up. He was leading the guards to him, and, and they took Jesus. Jesus openly walked towards them, presented himself, and, and then they took him away. He was interviewed multiple times during that late hour, and, and then eventually he was beaten severely to the point of where many people die. And yet, he continued to go. All of this was because Jesus was the perfect lamb. He was the perfect lamb. Finally, he was interviewed again interrogated and then he's led to the slaughter I always think about that I've seen videos of animals being led to the slaughter they don't know necessarily what's coming Jesus did he was the perfect lamb and friends Jesus needed to be sacrificed 
you don't understand the Bible, listen carefully. Jesus had to be sacrificed. He had to give of his life. The perfect lamb gets sacrificed during the Passover. This was the Passover. This was the time that the lamb would be brought, the blood would be shed, and, and it would be for the forgiveness of the nation. But instead, Jesus went to the cross. He was slain, and his blood was the forgiveness for the world before and forward of all time. That's what we were talking about when we were talking about Good Friday. What the Jewish authorities and the Romans did to Jesus, it wasn't good at all. He was injured. He was hurt. He was beat. He was bleeding. It was painful. However, the results of the death is what we celebrate. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This event, the event of Jesus dying on the cross, is paramount to our Christian faith. Absolutely crucial that that moment had to happen. But what happens after that moment? Friday night comes. Tom and I were just talking about that. Saturday comes. What happens on Saturday? All hope is gone. Everything is, is done at that point. You see, all of history does not change at that moment. We never know about Jesus' life. We never know about Jesus' death. We don't know about his perfect life if Sunday doesn't come. Because at that moment in history, all hope was lost. All of those Jewish followers, what were they expecting? That he was going to be the king of Israel, of his nation. They were going to overthrow Rome, and, and, and they were going to be in charge, and they're going to rebuild the temple. Everything was done at that point. They didn't get it. They didn't understand that Jesus had to die and that he had to be raised from the dead. All hope gone. We don't stand here. We don't have hope. We're, we're maybe worshiping some random thing because we don't understand the truth. The next morning, or Sunday morning, the women say, we are going to go. They get up real early. Real early. And they're going to put oils on them and anoint the dead body of Jesus. And they knew that there was this huge stone in front of the grave. There was this monstrous stone. And, and, and in fact, Scripture says they had no idea how they were going to get in the grave. Mark 16, 3. Here's what the women were saying. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? A couple things. First of all, if the story of Jesus' resurrection is fake, if it's pretend, if it's made up, they would never use women. It would be a guy or men. Because they would have been reliable and acceptable. Women weren't anything. Second, don't you love the determination of these women? I'm married to a woman who's very determined. 
Many of you are, are, are very determined too. They had no idea how they were going to move this stone. And they said, it doesn't matter, we're going. Be because if, if there is someone in need, or they need to protect someone, or they need to do something massive, women just go at it. And, and they say, we'll figure it out. And we'll move a mountain if we need to. And that's what these women were doing. They were going there because they were serving their king. They still understand him uh, as Christ, the anointed one. That's exactly what they said earlier. That is the, a beautiful picture. So they go to the grave. And, and as they go to the grave, it's open. It's like, oh my, what's going on? But what, what, what's happening? And then there's, there, there's someone sitting in there, and, 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 and here's what they say, Mark 16, 5 through 7. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Then, then you go to Luke chapter 24. And, and you read an account of, of these two disciples walk into Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, as they're, as they're talking, a third person shows up, who we know as Jesus. But they don't recognize it as Jesus. And they're talking, and Jesus is like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, you haven't heard? They're just assuming this is a guy who came for the, the Passover feast. And he's going back home. And so as, as they're going, uh, they're, like, they're talking about current events. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, oh. And he starts all the way back and tells all through scripture. All about how it was pointing to Jesus. Pointing to the life and the, the birth, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He's telling them all the scriptures. And finally, at the very end, he, he, he allows them to recognize him. And they're like, oh my goodness. And Jesus disappears at that moment. And Jesus reappears to the disciples. And he, he appears to, to all the men. He says, Jesus spoke these words in Luke 24, 44 through 49. This is important. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, that's the anointed one, would suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name of to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem you are the witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending you, sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You see, and this is our first point, Luke. You see, we have been given the plan of God. The church. The church is the plan that God designed to bring forth this message. It's plan A. It's his only plan. The church is the plan because God has built it. It's his. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
This isn't anyone's church. This is his church. He is the grand architect. Even as Paul said to the Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The church is to go. The church began on the day of Pentecost. We talked about that in the book of Acts. Fifty days after the Passover, when Jesus died and rose again. Jesus is the head of the church. Paul said to the Ephesians, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills it all. So everyone, everyone who bows their knee to Jesus, everyone who calls Jesus their Lord and Savior, everyone who makes them their, their absolute foundation becomes a member of the church. You don't have to, have to go through membership class. You don't have to get approval uh, through another person. You don't have to receive a piece of paper. If you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you commit your life to him, you become a member of the church, capital C. And that's a powerful thing. That's where God is seeking that unity we talked about last week. Because he wants unity within the church. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. So how is Jesus going to build the church? Second point, by providing the Holy Spirit in his absence. Providing the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26 through 27. But when the Helper comes, capital H, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. In fact, Jesus said, do not start your ministry until he comes. Remember, Jesus ascended. Ten days later, as they're waiting in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Acts 1, 4 through 5 says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. On Pentecost, the 120 people were there in the home. You remember the story. And the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Remember today, in today's time, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, instantly the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. Instantly. Faster than that. That's the promise of God. But before that time happened, there was a time when the Holy Spirit was falling upon people. We see that in, in three different instances. In, in the preparation for, uh, for the Jews and, and for, for the Gentiles. And here, 120 people. And what did they do? They started praising the name of Jesus to the, to the 3,000 people out there. And people were giving their lives to Jesus. What were they promoting? What were they doing? They were promoting Jesus Christ. That's our third and final point. They were promoting Jesus Christ. Peter, John, the rest of the apostles, they were all teaching they wanted you to hear about Jesus Christ. Anyone who would listen to him, they were teaching about his life, his teachings, his death, and so much about his resurrection. 
over and over. The church was expanding in all directions. We remember Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen was preaching the good news. The Holy Spirit had fallen upon him, and, and, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was out preaching, and people couldn't, couldn't uh, fathom and understand really what he was saying. And they were so mad at him. And they picked up stones, and they, they were chucking at him and, and killing him. What was he preaching? He was promoting Jesus Christ. He was promoting Jesus. And because of that murder, that single murder, people scattered. And when they scattered, they started spreading the gospel even more. They started promoting Jesus all over the, all over the place. Jesus continued to grow in tremendous ways, and eventually we saw the Apostle Paul, when it's referred to as his other name, Saul, when he was visited by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus. We saw how Paul continued the torch, carrying it on, sharing the gospel everywhere he went, proclaiming Jesus Christ. We saw Paul being guided by the Holy Spirit so many different ways. This is what the book of Acts is all about. It's reminding you and me that God had, had, has, and continue to has, have a perfect plan. It's an absolutely perfect plan. Because it's his plan. And he will see that it's carried out. His perfect plan is Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus Christ is what the book of Acts is all about. You and I are on a mission from God. And that mission is to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to promote Jesus Christ. Our goal is to be filled with the Spirit so that he can expand his church. We'll let him do all the growing. We can keep doing the planting and the watering. Our job is to promote the Lamb of God. 